Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. Got a great guest lined up here for you today. Her name's Alison Edgar. She's the entrepreneur's godmother and managing director of Sales Coaching Solutions. She's an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker and a thought leader. From growing up in a high-rise flat in Scotland and struggling with undiagnosed dyslexia to working internationally in hospitality management and ultimately owning and scaling a successful sales training business. Alison has a fantastic story to tell. Her debut book, Secrets of Successful Sales, has reached the top of the Amazon best-selling chart and is also in the top in WH Smith's business chart. Alison regularly appears on and contributes to the BBC and LBC Radio and she has been named as one of the UK's top 10 business advisors and the UK's number one sales and marketing advisor by Enterprise Nation. So let's dig into this exciting episode. Well, I'm really pleased to have you on the show, Alison. This is Alison Edgar and yeah, we're going to talk about lots of lots of interesting topics today, but I know you've got a really great kind of life-changing opportunity that came along quite recently. Certainly, uh, the Duke of York runs some kind of organization and you're, you're sort of involved with that. And it sounds really, really quite interesting. I look forward to hearing more about you and, and that, actually. So I'm going to let you, let you tell me a bit about it. Yeah, so what had happened is one of my uh, clients, I work with a lot of young entrepreneurs, some of them ex Dragon's Den winners or Apprentice winners. or So, I, I, again, I like working with young people. They, they bring out the best in me. They inspire me. And I think it's, it's mutual. And Ben Towers, who is a young entrepreneur, he at 18 did a multi-million pound merger of his company. He works closely, was working closely with the Duke of York Idea Awards. And again, it sounded really great and really funky and really cool. And I thought that's something I could really get behind. So it's a bit like most people have heard of the Duke of Edinburgh. So Duke of Edinburgh, you go and you do the running up the hills and, you know, you do the, the active activities. But now with digital being so prevalent, not only to, to younger people, but returners to work after maternity leave or the unemployed, or again, it's a really, really good way to get education for free. So again, a bit like Duke of Edinburgh, you get the badges, so you get your bronze award or you will get your silver award. And in the lead up to that, you get your little badges. So it's in different things. You've got like the worker one, the entrepreneurial one. It helps you do coding. So again, if you look at, I mean, where I find there is a bit of a gap in the market is if you do, because a bit like myself, I continued to work while my children were small, but I worked part time. 
but a lot of people give that time fully to their children and then they have to go back and they've potentially come from corporate because their skills have like gone or evaporated because tech moves so quickly that I just thought that's a really brilliant thing to help people that are going back to work, help their CV, give them new skills and ultimately I think give them confidence because um, and especially with the badges, everybody likes to think they've won a badge or a, you know, a level or so yeah, I just felt it was something I could get behind. Also, I've got a young team, so like Rebecca and my team, she's achieved her silver award and she is non graduate. I, I take on quite a lot of graduates from intern programs, but Rebecca hasn't really got any formal A levels or anything. And for her, it just gave her a whole new lease of life. So I can see what it does for our team. And it was just something I was honoured to be made an ambassador for them. So I go around schools in the local area and I talk about IDEA and how, again, young people can help buff their CV a little bit more or their personal statement a little bit more to really, again, give them confidence and bloom. Yeah, it's super, it's super important. I remember talking to my dad about it because he used to do a lot of interviewing for people from the UK that wanted to go to MIT. So MIT would say to my dad, well, we've got these students, they want to go to MIT, can you interview them and give us your recommendations? And a lot of the time, he would actually turn around to the student and he'd say, look, you haven't got hope in hell of getting into MIT right now, you need to go away. And you need to, you know, for an example, one one candidate, he said, you need to go and do a hobby, you need some hobby, or you need to go out of the country and learn a language or you need yeah. like you need more complexity to yourself mm-hmm. because frankly yeah. you're a bit thin off, off, off the ground and and uh, this one chap took his advice and he went away came back and actually got in you know but uh, it's a it's a it's a really interesting time right now because the amount of jobs that aren't even created yet it's quite a worrying time for a lot of people because they're scared of 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 changing and they're scared of having to learn everything all over again but it's like there needs to be this this sort of ongoing learning which is which is Mm. it's almost like when people finish university they're like look at me I've got an MBA it's like well nobody cares like it, it doesn't it doesn't do anything because you don't even know what you're doing. I mean, it's interesting. So I do quite a lot of keynote speaking at the universities, the University of the West of Scotland. I've done some work with Plymouth Uni, um, UE in Bristol. And if I'm speaking, what I do, and again, I try and make everything I talk about as relatable to as many people as I can because I'm a non-academic. I find sometimes like when people start to talk in the academia I find it quite confusing they don't keep it simple enough it's not straightforward so when I'm speaking to the students what I'll say I'll say has anybody ever played musical chairs and they all kind of look around and you know put up their hand they've all played musical chairs okay so what's the you know the point of musical chairs well you want to be the last one on the chair and you're the winner and and if that if I put maybe 25,000 or 30,000 pounds on that chair, how quickly, how swiftly, how, how much would you want to win the musical chair? Because that's what getting a job's like. You're all competing for the same chair and there's 30 grand on it or 25 grand on it. You would be quicker and slicker than your competition. It's musical chairs. So again, they really then start to see the importance of the extracurricular activities, the, you know, the, the hobbies, the languages, the travel, the personal statement, because 
again, you can have two students who have got the same results, A-level results, but it could come down to the personal statement. And, and it's the same when they go to, to work. You know, I help people recruit, especially salespeople, you know, and it's not just the, you know, the track record, it's all the other, the layers that make them more interesting. So that, I, I completely agree with what you just said. Thank you. Thank you. I know, I know you know a lot about sales and you've, you've done all sorts of, all sorts of things. I mean, you've got, you, didn't you write a book on sales or have you written more than one? Well, yes, I did. Um, so the book is Secrets of Successful Sales. And I think it's an interesting thing because I'm dyslexic. I really struggle with reading and writing. And people say, well, you know, how did you overcome that to write a book? And why did you write a book? And I think for me, it's been really strange because I never even really ever wanted to start, start a company. A lot of things just happened because I, I, I just felt that I had to do it. So the book, I know that what I teach works. I mean, touch wood, I've never had any negative feedback. And it's literally when I, when I work with people on a one-to-one or I work with a company or I work with a team, we just, you know, it, they, they learn to sell. But how do you help the startup entrepreneurs who don't really have much money, the young entrepreneurs? Again, the, the ones that need you most are the ones who have got the least money, which is just a sad fact. But if you write a book, they can pay £10 or £15, whatever it is on Amazon at the time, and they can get that knowledge at a price. And it, it then means they have to take action. You know, there's nobody there holding their hand. But the book literally has just gone mad. So it came out on the 6th of March, 2018. And I think imposter syndrome is something I talk about a lot because I still probably suffer with a bit of imposter syndrome around the book because I'm not an author, you know, and it's again, oh, actually, people introduce me as an author and I think, oh, maybe I am an author because I've written a book. And what had happened with it was, I, I love LinkedIn, you know, that's how we obviously met and I spend a lot of time, you know, I'll, I'll post some educational pieces some things of what I'm doing and I get quite excited. So when the book arrived, we did a 20 second video of me opening the box and literally it is 20 seconds of me going, we've got a book, we've got a book, we've got a book and literally it went mad. It had something like 70,000 views of this little video um, so on the launch day on Amazon, it sold out. Um, people were having to wait two weeks to get a copy of the book because um, we just couldn't get them published quickly enough. So now we're 11 months on from launch. It has, I mean, it hit number one sort of really quickly, but in the last 10 months, it's never really been out of the top 10 in its categories, which is really unusual because a lot of people have a big like rocket launch and then it disappears to like a million in one. But it, it's just gone mad and not just in sales, but reviews. So again, this is another thing that I didn't expect. It's had today, as we speak, there's 93 five-star reviews of my book from people that I don't know. And it's, you know, again, they're not planted reviews. Every other day I'll get a message from somebody I've never met in my life from all around the world who see how the book, you know, has transformed it. So it is my debut book, Secrets of Successful Sales. I'll get that pitch in there again. But I've also co-authored another book, which is called Sales Genius. So I've written a chapter for Sales Genius. And I'm now working on book number two. And I've just done my first TEDx. So I've done a TEDx and the title of that is The Art of Getting What You Want. 
So book number two is The Art of Getting What You Want, but it's, again, it's an interesting one. The, the word sales, um, <laughs> it's a love-hate, it's a marmite word, isn't it? Some people who love sales, oh, sales. Other people are like, ew, sales, dirty, sleazy, ew, that's not me. So again, if you're not in sales, secrets of successful sales wouldn't be something you would pick off the shelf. But the art of getting what you want will. But actually, everything you do is a sale. So it's evidence-based from the first book. So I've got 9,000 words down. I'm off to Dubai in a couple of weeks' time just to try and refocus and get some more writing done. So I, I can't believe it. And the other thing I did was, again, I really struggled to read because of the dyslexia. I'm, I'm good at talking, like as you can hear, I enjoy speaking. But to, if you gave me a piece of paper to read out, you would think it was a five-year-old that was reading because I really struggle. But I managed to narrate my own audiobook. So that was a bit like running a marathon, trying to read, even though I'd written it myself in the book. So that's something I'm really proud of. And I, and I think I try to inspire other people to do things and push themselves a little bit further. But that was my, definitely that was my marathon. That's really great. That's really great. It's lovely to lovely to understand a bit more about you and your your t- book titles are fantastic. I must say, absolutely spot on. It's so exciting to actually write something and create something and and actually create something that can change people's lives. I mean, that's in essence what we're talking about because with sales, if you're not making any and you're becoming worried and you're becoming stressed and you're becoming depressed, yeah, because it's depressing, yeah, mm-hmm. then you, in essence, you are going backwards and, and that will slow you down. If you don't find a way to find the information to take action and make something happen, it will, it will stop you in your tracks and you'll, you know, you, you won't get up in the morning, you drink some booze, you may take drugs. You may, you know, sleep late because you don't want to get up because life's just too depressing. And it's very, very difficult because there is a stigma around sales. There's no doubt about it. One of my, one of my old, a late trainer of mine, unfortunately passed away. He wrote a book, well, it's got to be 20 years ago now, called The Accidental Salesman. And that was because he hates sales. Yeah, he hated pushy selling. And unfortunately, it's prevalent in marketing and sales because they're both the same. They're both just different sides of the same coin. You and I know this. In fact, he trained me in telephone sales. So I, that was the first thing I learned how to do was telephone sales. It was really quite hard. It was really, really tough. And it's difficult to get over that rejection when you feel it in your, it's almost like you feel it in your chest. It's almost like a personal rejection. And it's, and it's just like, look, just pick up the phone. Just, just get on with it. With telephone sales, where would you start now with all the social media and, and, and research you can actually do? I mean, I, I, that's what I love because I'm, I'm a big, bit of a geek. So I will research using a tool that I have and then I'll, then I'll, I won't cold call people because I just, it doesn't work for me anymore. I could, but I think the pain would outweigh the gain personally. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. So um, I, my background started off in telesales as well. So I come from a telesales background from, you know, from the start. And I was actually trained by BT. So we used to do business to business, outbound telephone sales. And oh, you will love this because I'm trying to like not give away my age on this. But it was 
we used to sell pagers because there wasn't any mobile phones. I had a pager. <laughs> Everyone needed a pager. And then mobile phones came in, which was great. And we would do telephone systems and um, win back. So at the time, BT had lost some market share to one of its competitors and we would convince people to come back to BT again. So and a, and a really positive note, the, the training they gave you was absolutely amazing. And the, the, the core training that I had really helped me to be good at sales and again, find my own niche. And it's really interesting that um, there's a lot of talk on LinkedIn is cold calling. Is it dead or alive? And for me, I don't think we have to cold call anymore. It's not no. 1984. You know, in, in the book, I talk about sales process. And step one and step two is being organized and doing your research. Because if you're just phoning up, can I speak to the person that deals with your photocopiers or whatever it is? They'll be like, yeah, can you send it to nevergonnahappen.com and we'll come back to you. <laughs> Because so many people have got like a no-name policy, right. whereas if you've got a target customer, if it's ABC um, Manufacturing, you know, all you do is go into LinkedIn, ABC Manufacturing, Head of Procurement, Managing Director, CEO, Head of HR, and then you, you connect and, and not, I mean, this does my head in on LinkedIn when people just try and flog their products. Hello, I'm sending you a photocopier. Would you like to buy one? <laughs> uh, you wouldn't do that in real life, would you? You know, you, you wouldn't have done that in cold calling days. Why would you do it now? Oh, hi. like to connect with you. I'm based in your area. I see that you, you do manufacturing. How are things going in the manufacturing industry? We're in photocopiers. Things are going really well at the moment. You know, it'd be great to talk to somebody. Who would be the person that would deal with that? You know, those kind of... So you don't have to pick up and get blocked by the gatekeeper in the no name policy you just sideswipe everything and you know the name of the person yeah. so if you are going to pick up the phone can i speak to john smith in the procurement department can i ask who's calling yep it's alison edgar what's it regarding conversation we've had on linkedin thanks bye so again you're more likely to get through than the never going to happen.com it's about being smart and i think that's where looking at telesales um it you know it does work but not if you're phoning up and getting blocked by the gatekeeper. That's You'd be as well spending five minutes longer doing your research and having a productive call, even if that person's not the right person to go and give you the gateway in. Or, you know, you're on the radar. Oh, that's great. So you've got the photocopier on a five-year lease just out of interest. When does the lease end? Okay. It ends in 2019, July, whatever it is. Fantastic. How would you feel if we, you know, when it does come up, we could put in a competitive quote against your current supplier who's not going to say yes to that so again it's just really i, I sound quite good at this maybe i should do this for a job <laughs> i'm just nodding away here going yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah, it's, it's, it's like i'm a sales trainer <laughs> you're not are you surely yeah yeah <laughs> so back to the tele sales right yeah so yeah, I mean, I've, I I used to have a very targeted approach to, to, to everything. When I worked in the wine industry, we used to sell into garden centres and farm shops and um, tourist attractions. We used to sell to like the royal palaces and really posh venues as well, yeah? And, and I remember when we had a roller deck, <laughs> right? Seriously, I kid you not. And we had this really posh lady in the office called Jane. And she used to, before she worked there, 
she used to actually sell double glazing on the phone. She was a double glazing sales lead generator. Yeah. And, and I just never forget, she would just say, oh, you must call this company this week. They've, they've got a new change of, change of buyer. You must phone them. And I was like, and I would, and I would pick up the card and, and I'd be like, oh, wow. I've been trying to get in here for five years. And then, you know, I'd pick the phone up, chat them up. I'd say, oh, hi, uh, I've noticed you've just started here. And isn't that exciting that you're in your new role? And it's like, you need a personality, right? Like, yeah. I think the most important thing is actually having, from where I'm sitting, if I'm, if I'm trying to do business, for example, in an influencer marketing company that I'm, mm. that I'm sort of working with, I, I've actually worked to create a script, Rich, which is just a guideline, yeah? Mm. I don't use it like, oh, I must repeat every word of this because if you do that right, you're not human, are you? You're just no. a parrot. No, and I completely agree. So I, I'm completely anti-script because I don't believe sales comes from a piece of paper. It comes from your heart and your passion I believe more in a formula. So when we um, teach, I teach the thing called the win introduction because ultimately the buyer only really cares about what's in it for them. They really don't care about you at all. It's just what's in it for them. So we use the formula. Again, I, I work with lots of industries because I'm not industry specific. Like one day I'm working with people who do telecoms. The next I'm doing manufacturing. And, you know, so I can mortgages. I was doing mortgages this week. So it's just literally looking for that formula, which is the same no matter what. And, and, and it is quite interesting because... You, you, you touched on it there, especially with telesales, that you, you're not seeing people face-to-face. -face. So the tone, the pitch, and the confidence are really, really important. If you go, oh, oh I'm, I'm really sorry to bother you. Um, I wanted to speak to the person who deals with it. It screams a sales call, and that's where the nevergonnahappen.com comes from. <laughs> actually, if you elevate your tone, your pitch, and your confidence, people will be more confident in you. And it does help, to be honest, a lot of the call centres were always opened in Scotland because we've got a bit of a singy-songy voice. Ah. It's really good. So we can't all be Scottish, but if you have got a monotone, you really need to work on the up and down, the enunciation. Right. That's how people will engage with your voice. But also, I mean, I was, I was learning the other day. I can't remember what I was reading or listening. I think I listened. That was it. I listened to something that was quite interesting. And it was, so after you've done your research, you know about the company, you know about your product, and you know about the person that you're talking with. You, you, get, you pick up the phone and you call them up and you get them on the end of the phone. And the major problem is that you give them too much information. Oh, and don't yeah. think. And they, they, so you go, oh, hi there, it's John from such and such, such and such, and we do this, and blah, 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 right? The problem is that you just, you, you're completely drowning their brain. They can't even think. You're just not listening. Them. Yeah, so, not listening. So what would you, say you were calling me, right? And I was your ideal client. Okay? Yeah. How would you call me? So I think it would be purpose. I mean, I think this is the thing that everybody should have in the back of their mind is the purpose. So again, it always makes it warmer if they're expecting the call, which is why you would do something via LinkedIn because then they'll know. But I think the other thing is you, only, you need to try and get some sort of pause in there and get permission 
to actually get the person to have that conversation. So we're a bit naughty because if people phone inbound to us, to, to telesale, to cold call us, I start the timer. I literally, I will start a timer on my phone. The girls all know, oh, there it is. It's a cold call. She started her timer. And people can rub it on for like two minutes. They haven't asked me if it's a convenient time to talk. They haven't asked, you know, they, they just haven't got any buy-in. They just go blah, 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 for three minutes. And in the book, there's a section about a lady that did cold call us. There's a, it's how not to cold call. And what she did was literally she, blah, 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 oh, just, she went on and on and on. And she was trying to sell me websites. So it was a website and I think marketing-y type things. And, and this is another thing not to do. So again, because I think I, say, I, I train sales, I'm probably a wee bit more tolerant of people who don't know how to do it because I think, well, if they've never been trained or they've never been taught, it, it, it's not a bad thing. So what I did was I let her waffle on and do la, 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 and I did the usual, right? Send me an email to nevergonnahappen.com. Anyway, I passed it then back to the team. So if you look at, and this is another thing, I think people talk to the wrong people in an organization. So she kind of had me, I'm the decision maker, but I managed to pass her back down to one of the teams. So I think, again, that gives you an idea that somebody's not that interested. You've not really caught that, you know, that, that bond of why they should listen or why they should buy. And then she sent the information and give her a due, she got back up to me again. So she was quite... Tenacious, I think that's another thing, tenacity. But she did the, the most awful thing. So I've got three websites. I've got alisonedgar.com, which is my speaking website and author website. I've got Entrepreneur's Godmother, which is, again, for the startups and micro-businesses. And I've got Sales Coaching Solutions, which works with teams. Now, we have just recently redone Sales Coaching Solutions, but it hadn't been touched for a couple of years. And the Entrepreneur's Godmother, we work hard on that website. We put our blogs in. It gets a lot of traffic. We've got a chat in there. Again, from marketing, it's marketed well. But again, I I literally led her down a path. And this is another top tip. Don't let the client lead you down the path of no return. So she said something about websites. And again, I gave her enough, enough rope to hang herself, shall we say. And I said, okay, so what is it you think is wrong with my website? <laughs> well, it's very dated. And, it's, you know, and she started going on about how bad my website was. And I thought, right, okay, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt because I have got two. And one of them is a bit dated, but one of them's bang on. And I said, which one was it? And she then said it was the one that was I just spent all the time and money and effort on that again comes back to exactly what you're saying she hadn't done her research because if she'd have looked at the bottom of the website she would have seen it was 2018 dated so again if you are selling websites and you're cold calling for example if you've not done your research if it's a, a website that's not mobile friendly it's been kicking around from 2011 for example they're prime game as a prospect but if you look at that I've tried to sell websites in the past, yeah. And what you find with those people, yeah, is that they don't even see the value of a website in the first place. So trying to convince them that they need one, you may as well not bother because they actually don't care. They don't actually care at all. So there's no buying motivation. No, no. And again, that's what the the situation was there. But coming back to your initial, you know, what would you do if you were cold calling? If I was looking and I'd seen you hadn't updated your website since 2011, and again, it wasn't mobile friendly, it wasn't ranked highly on Google, 
you know, you can't start going, ah, blah, 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 blah. You'd have to say, oh, hi, I've had a little look at you. The purpose of this call is I've had a little look at your website. I see that it's not been updated for a little while. It's just to find out how much value, you know, you put towards it and what your plans are to update it over the next six to 12 months. Again, what's your plans to update it? And if they say nothing, it's a brochure site, I'm not interested. Again, you're not going to sell to anybody anyway, but the more people you would have that conversation with, actually, you will hit somebody who says, you know what, actually, I was thinking about getting my website updated. And again, that's a buy-in signal for you to then be able to carry on. So yeah. again, it comes back to the what's in it for them because we know that mobile friendly is getting you know, pushed back. We, you know, we know all the things, if you were selling websites, that is, of, of what, why it's really important. But for you to tell them they need a new website... It's just going to get the backup as it did with the lady who cold called me. Yeah, because it's it's basically just saying, what are your plans? Yeah. Instead of, here you go, you need to do this. Yeah, you can't. What's your plan? You know, see, you've not done it for a while. It's just to find out that, you know, what, what, why, why you haven't touched it, how important it is, and what are your plans for the next six to 12 months? How are you to talk about that just now? And again, if somebody's thinking about it, it's a nice change. I'm ready. I'm ready. When, when do you start? See, see, it's like a thing. <laughs> and, you know, we spoke offline that for me, it's really important that I practice what I teach. So, uh, as, again, there's a lot of people who move in to becoming sales trainers and they weren't particularly great at sales. You know, maybe they got voluntary redundancy or whatever and they had a wee bit of cash and think, oh, I'll set up a sales training company or a consultancy company. I was really hot at sales and everything that I did and put into the book was what I did and the other top performers did. So it's not based on theory, it's based on reality. And, you know, I have been in the call centers. I have had to do cold calling. I've had to do it. And I did it really well because I won the prizes and the trips. And the, right. so I've taken my knowledge and put it in the book, not regurgitated other people's stuff. It's what did I do? Right. So you're a bit like that guy in the Glen Gary, Glen Ross movie who's, who, who slams the watch down on top of the briefcase. Have you seen it? Do you know what I haven't? I feel really bad oh. people talk about it all the time. I have to watch it. Oh, you've got <laughs> to watch that film. It's absolutely stonking, yeah. Because <laughs> he basically just comes in and he, t he says, he says, I think he walks in and he says, he says something like, gives him the good news, yeah. And then he gives him the bad news. He's like, the good news is you're all fired. Yeah. <laughs> got to watch it I've, I've watched, I've, I, have, I have watched the, the Wolf of Wall Street and it's quite interesting right. because Jordan Belfort's book and I were like head to head for the number one slot at the time because I think his book came out at a similar time no way yeah and we, he was number one and I'm number two and then I'm like really trying to get past him and I thought, well, do you know, he's got a bit of an advantage. He's actually got Leo DiCaprio who's paid him in a film. I've not even got that. I have to play myself every day. <laughs> I can't play Jordan Belfort. So, uh, yeah, and it's an interesting concept. But, you know, you look at one of the things from Wolf of Wall Street, the guy was an absolute genius. If he wasn't using it for the wrong means, you know, yeah. for the boiler room scams and, you know, the Ponzi schemes and things, if he'd have stayed clean on all of that stuff uh, you know it, it'd have been amazing yeah. now i think he's lost a lot of respect because i wouldn't want to take advice from a criminal but no. you know some people do yeah but i think it, you know that model though is actually being replicated in the bitcoin arena oh. like i'm getting calls every day i've had to block 20 numbers yeah yeah and because i was interested in just learning 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to buy anything. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to learn about what solution they had because mm-hmm. it sounded really good. Then I researched the company after I'd stupidly put my phone number into this yeah. thing. And literally just getting calls every day. And mm-hmm. they were so aggressive, these people. Mm-hmm. I just said, look, I said, I'm busy. I'm in a meeting, mm-hmm. absorbed in what I'm doing. Send me an email. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call the next day. Same, same rude woman on the end of the phone. No idea how to have a conversation with someone that doesn't want to buy. Because it's like... yeah. If you don't have a budget to buy anything or you don't want to buy anything yeah. or you're not, I mean, I learned, who was it that said this? If it was Jay Abraham. And he's a very famous marketing guy in the state. And he said, there are three reasons people don't buy from you. This is what he said. I don't know if you all agree with this. I hope so. So he said, the first one is the timing isn't right. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Second one is the product isn't right. Yeah. Or the service. Yeah. And then the third one is the pricing isn't right. Yeah. Then that, that's, that's it. It's simple. I mean, I would, I would lead in uh, an additional part in there is ultimately people buy people. And people buy people who normally are like them. That's, again, the stuff I teach around behaviours. So I think it's a combination of all, but definitely timing. You know, you look at the website lady. It, you know, I've just done one in 2018. Am I going to buy another one? No. You know, so again does come back to doing the research and really having a plan and a purpose like everything I do what is the purpose people pick up the phone and they just don't have the purpose and they waffle because they don't really know what the purpose of the call is so yeah, yeah. But, so, but so so at the beginning of the call yeah yeah if you called me yeah we just do a fake one you call me yeah, yeah. right okay and I've picked the phone ring ring hello uh oh. Nat here how can I help you Hi, Nat. It's Alison Edgar, the Entrepreneur's Godmother. Um, I see that we're actually in LinkedIn and that you do a, a podcast. So the purpose of the call really was just to discuss um, maybe looking to do something regarding your podcast. I can see you're on your mobile. Are you all right to talk for a couple of minutes? Mm, no, I can't really do today. Do you, think, you, you sound like a great person, though, and I'm really, really interested. Yeah. Have you got a time slot that we could maybe arrange for tomorrow? Yeah, perfectly. What I'm going to do, what's your email address? And I'll send you a calendar invite in. Oh, great. It's, it's just nat at natschooler.com. Perfect. Two o'clock in the diary. And what I'll do is I'll send an agenda and a purpose of what we're going to talk about. And it's a, the, the asking for the permission to talk is an interesting one, Nat, because a lot of sales trainers will not teach you to do that. They teach you just to bowl through. But one of the things when I work with telesales companies, I make them close their eyes. So we do, I'll do listen backs. We've recorded the calls and I'll sit with the person when I'm coaching and I'll say, right, close your eyes. And they go, okay. So they close their eyes and by closing their eyes, what they do is they actually hear the background noise. So again, like you've not got any background noise. So it's, it's usually quite a good time. And people, again, if your hook's strong enough, people will actually want to know why you're calling. Does that make sense? So even though they might not have much time, they're usually quite nosy and they want to know what you actually want because they're obviously, you know, with your podcast, you don't know whether I'm trying to sponsor your podcast and pay you thousands of dollars or whether I want to be on your podcast or whether I've listened to it or you don't really know. So it's your, I want to talk about your podcast so naturally, you will start to think, I wonder what she wants. I get you. So you're basically talking about their, their business. 
Yeah. You'd yeah. say, like, oh, well, I'd like to learn more about build business acumen. Can you tell me a little bit more about your business? Because I'm really interested in finding out as I think there's something we could work on together. Yeah. And I think you have to be careful with it because you can't make it look like you're going to buy something from them. Again, a lot of people falsely uh, try and hook you in because when you do get an, especially if it's an inbound call, as a, especially a small business, because you don't know what they want. I mean, they might be trying to buy something from you. So you can't be rude and say, no, I don't want to talk to you. But again, if you get the purpose in quickly, but I do think, you know, I, I definitely, um, I know it's probably against what a lot of people teach because they, they get the pause and then they just speak over. Um, I really want buy-in because if you're going to buy in and say, yeah, I've got a couple of minutes or actually it's, I'm really in the middle of something, can we speak tomorrow? They're more likely to have a conversation and listen to you. There's no point in trying to flog things when people are busy right. and that's a fault that I think a lot of people do. They don't ask that question and they don't know what's going on in the background. You know, you could be right in the middle of, you know, if somebody phoned me now, obviously my phone's on silent, but I couldn't talk to them. It's not that I don't want to talk to them. I just can't. So again, I think it's really shaping that relationship. It's about having a relationship with your potential client and you can't do that if you just start talking at them. Very much so. So you're you're basically starting off the process of getting as many yeses as you can, right? I mean, that's in essence. So, you know, in, in all selling and marketing, business to business sales, right? We want them to say yes, don't we? Because the, the sooner they say yes, they give you permission to talk to them, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so, so, so. In, in business to business sales, if if you are discussing with them something, ideally you want them to say yes as many times as possible because then when you come to closing, right, yeah. it doesn't feel like closing and it doesn't feel like closing anyway to them because they've already closed themselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting because if I start doing a course, so say it's a sales team, um, and at the start of the course, I'll go around and get them to put on the post-it note what their objective for the course is. What do they want to get? You know, what's the, the goal for them? And I absolutely love it when they say closing. Like I do a little mini fist bump to myself because the reason they can't close is they've never opened. They're trying to sell too soon. So again, for me, I teach people to, so if it's a face-to-face meeting or a telephone meeting or whatever it is, I call it setting the table. So if, again, if I called you back then at two o'clock in the afternoon, okay, thank you so much for taking the call. What I want to do is I want to discuss a couple of things, you know, what you're currently doing for your your, your sales training, uh, how many are in your team and really looking at how you drive things forward over the next 12 months. Um, how does that sound to you? Yeah, that's good, Alison. So again, they're saying yes. So then. What I would expect would do this will take us about 30 minutes. I'm also going to ask questions regarding your turnover and your growth potential plans, which we'll probably touch on finance. Are, we, are you okay to talk about the finance and the growth plans? Yeah, that's fine. You know, usually they'll say yes as long. And, and again, this is where if you don't set the table at the start and you then start to talk about budget and finance and, and money, they'll go, what do you want to know that for? Nosy Parker. Because you've not set the table further back, whereas right. if you've claimed that you're going to be doing that, then you can. And then again, by asking them, so what are the challenges you've got with your sales team? You know, how many are in the sales team? How many of them are um, are hitting target? What percentage miss? What do you think the main reasons that they're not hitting target? 
what have you done already to, you know, to try and turn those performances around? How successful has that been? What would be your ideal way to do that? So again, I'm firing out loads of open questions. Obviously, you don't do that because that sounds like scripted, but you would listen to what the answers were. But ultimately, you have things that you wanted them to say and by asking the right questions. So ideally, you want them to say, I've got a sales team of 30. 20% of them are bringing in 80% of the revenue. What I'd like is more tips for them to advance their sales. And what I'd like is the middle ground people, I'd like them to be able to hit target. So what I need is a structure for them. So again, that's the answers you want. So you're preloading the questions back in to try and get them, not get them to say, because they might that might not be the challenge and you're not going to sell to everyone. But if you're asking good questions, then what you do at the end is you would draw a line in the sand. So, okay, um, that just to confirm, what you've said is this, this, this. Is that correct? Yes, Alison, that's correct. So again, it's that yes at the time where you draw the line in the sand, that's, and that's the bit where they do all the talking, and then it becomes all you're doing is selling the benefits of what you sell and matching them in. So it's, again, very formulaic, but lots and lots of small businesses and lots of businesses have never followed that formula. Right. So, so at the end there, you're literally just confirming back to them what they've said to you. And then you just say, so is it okay if I just, if I, if I, if I let you know on a, on an offer that I can, I can make for you, which is going to help you with your business to, to, to fix all these, all these little problems that you just told me about. I would go even further back than that. I would, so they've just said yes. And I'd say, right, okay, the benefit of me is I'm the UK's top 10 business advisor. I've worked with people in different industries. They've had, as a result of working with me, they've had an upturn in sales of 25%. It's also meant they've retained. So they've not had to spend money on recruitment. Um, the benefit is I'll come to your premises and do it so that you don't have to, um, you know, send them out. Also, I can do it on a half-day basis, um, repeating the same content so your operation still goes in. So um, let me just have a look at my diary. Actually, I've got a couple of dates available, the 14th of February or the 26th of February. Which one would be best for you for us to start, you know, working with the team? I've not even asked. I've just... so, you don't even, so, you, so you don't even talk about anything except for you just go straight into that? Well, if they're saying yes the whole way through... Right. Then we're ready to close, and then they would say, "Oh, what's the price?" You know, then you come to the price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so then they go, "What's the price?" Even after you've put them into the diary, right? That's so. Cool. Yeah. Really or so, cool. you know, something that might come up a wee bit earlier. Yeah. But again, if you've asked the money question, so for example, if the average or value order or the salesperson's target is a thousand pound a day, all you need to do again is justify the cost back to the margin, and then boom, it's you know, you've pretty much paid for yourself because you're going to increase sales. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. So you would basically say to them, so, so if, if, if your salesperson sell, so say they've got 30 salespeople. Yeah. You, you would, you would say, so how many salespeople do you have? They say 30. Yeah. So then you would say how many sales in revenue terms do they need to make to, pay for their salary and give you a thousand pounds a day profit and you see you ask them that question once they come Mm. back with they need to sell 10k's worth of product per day to give me x x x then you say well i'll tell you what that's fine i can do this and that's what it is so you've, you've you've justified 
justified your the, cost. the spend because yeah. Yeah. because you're you're not guaranteeing it but you're 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 basically saying that they're going to increase sales by working with you and that's it really i mean touch wood and again i think this has come through like having the business for a while I've never touched wood. I've never had any negative feedback on anything I've done. And I've never had any company that I've worked with who haven't increased sales as a result of the work. So, and again, I, I think they need reassurance. So some people won't make a decision there and then some will, but like I, I always say I've got, I don't know how many hundreds of testimonials on LinkedIn. Literally you just pick up the phone to anyone on there ask them what it's like to work with Alice and Edgar and they'll all tell you exactly the same thing that I've increased their sales. So again, it's that reassurance that um, I, I don't want to break my duck <laughs> working with a company and that doesn't happen. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't put my, you know, I put, I personally put my money where my mouth is. And I think that's where having confidence in your product, you need to, or you won't be able to sell it. So it feeds back to me practicing what I teach really. Right. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's knowing your product, isn't it? And knowing the pricing of it. Like, that's the most difficult thing in the entrepreneurial journey is a sort of, you know, you come up with an idea and you're like, well, I want to sell this. And then you're like, yeah. And it's like, but that actually doesn't go back to your purpose. So it's like. No, 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 the purposes are really important. Yeah, the purpose of like why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you don't have a strong purpose, everything you do is going to fail. Because. Yeah. Because because you're just in it for the money and people feel that. And when you look at them in the eyes, they go, oh, I know that she's just in it for the money or he's yeah. just in it for the money. Not to actually help people, to help society as a whole, but just in it for the money, right? And no one likes that. No, definitely not. And do you know what? It's really, you know, as I said before about the book, the messages that I get literally unprompted I get unprompted messages and like even people that I've trained years and years ago still use what I've taught them and they've maybe gone into different jobs and they've become you know successful there as well and I think it's that's what makes me tick and I, I spend a lot of sometimes my husband thinks I run a charity because I spend <laughs> a lot of my time doing give back uh, again with things like the schools or pupils and students and universities or um, I work with a um, the uh, business hubs accelerator programs and I give right. them my time for free I work with women's organizations I give them my time for free so sometimes my husband's like um are you do you run a charity but fortunately again I feel a bit like Robin Hood because the larger organizations who have got budget will pay me and it means that the smaller people who need me most I can yeah. give time back for free yeah. It's important, you know, I, I dedicate a certain amount of my time every month to help people if they come to me. But the, the problem is, is that you can, you can show the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And, and, and in many cases, you'll find that actually what sits behind them as an individual is what's holding them back. And actually, it's not, yeah. it's not the guidance that they need. It's actually probably a psychiatrist or, or some sort of counsellor, because actually they think that starting a business or making sales is going to help them, but really there's an underlying problem. Uh, and I think it's quite interesting because for me, you know, people say, oh yeah, start your own business, get freedom, get financial freedom. And actually starting your own business is probably one of the hardest things. Like I compare it to like when I had my kids, it's like, yeah. it keeps you awake at night. You do have to think, and especially as you grow your team, you've got people in there. It's not just your salary, it's everybody. 
Yeah. So you have to be on your best performance every single day. And I think, you know, for me, I practice what I teach. Literally what you see with me is what you get. And, you know, sometimes days when you run, you know, things happen out with your control and it's just horrific. It's like sales, you know, you think, oh, that's brilliant. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. And it doesn't happen. And it affects the nail con and everything, but it's how you can overcome your mindset. And, you know, we did talk, you know, touched on the mental health aspect. And I think salespeople do struggle from mental health because they are so used to being good at what they do. And when things don't go their way, they take it. They're, they're probably their own worst critic. And then that does, you know, you do go back to old school style and, you know, the high pressure sales. There was a lot of work hard, play hard. There was a lot of heavy drinking. And again, that feeds into the mental health and especially for men in sales because they are like tend to be the provider. So if they're not providing and they're relying on that commission and, you know, I've seen people do desperate things, really desperate things, signing their own orders. Again, not from the training I've done, like this is when I worked in sales for companies signing their own orders, lying. And that, I think that doesn't come from them being bad people. I think it comes from desperation. And I think go on the line in the mindset and think, right, you know what, I'm going to change my mindset. I'm going to really grow this. I'm going to be positive. And I think the more positive you are, it helps your sales. Yeah, I agree completely. I think the mindset is everything, really. And so in terms of sort of customer service, what's your, what's your, what's your take on customer service? Like what's your uh, process? on that so i'm going to tell you a wee secret don't tell everyone so i the mission statement of the company is i genuinely believe when it's delivered correctly that sales and customer service is exactly the same thing so i do customer service training as well for organizations like the councils or um i've done hotels and hospitality and actually don't tell anyone but the slide pack is exactly the same as the slide pack that I use for sales training, bar two slides. That's how closely linked, because if you look, um, you know, if you look at hospitality, for example, if you've got, um, say you've got sweets available or you've got an a la carte taster menu or, again, people, this is where, again, with customer service, people kind of tend to judge their budget as a hospitality professional or a customer service. Um, so they don't pitch bigger. So for an example, again, say it was a hotel that was running at low occupancy and they had suites. Now, they're not going to upgrade somebody for the same price into a suite, but they could actually say, look, I've got a bit of an uplift here. Um, you can have a suite and we can throw in dinner. It's be an extra £100. How does that sound to you? Some people will just say, yes, it's the Disneyland phenomenal. People will just buy fast track passes. But by not actually offering them to me, you're giving them a disservice. But what it does is it gives you like an extra 100, 100 quid on the top line, you know, 50 quid on the bottom line. So to me, that's the same thing that, and again, it comes down to questioning techniques. Retail drive me mad because when you go into a retailer and the retailer says, can I help you? Really? Did you actually say that out loud? What do you think I'm going to say? You're, going to say, you're tuned to, to more or less say, no, thank you. Whereas if you say, oh, thanks for popping into Alison Edgar's store today. What brought you in? Because they're in for something. They might be in to get out of the rain, but they're in. You need to know why they came in. Because if you ask them, oh, what brought you in today? Oh, I'm looking for a present for Granny. Oh, right, okay, what kind of things does Granny like? How old is Granny? Oh, what kind of things do you know have you bought her in the past? You've just brought Granny like a new 
kettle. I don't know what you brought, Granny, but if you'd have said to that person, can I help you, they'd have gone around the shop looking for something for Granny, couldn't have got their head around it, and they'd have walked out. Again, it's good customer service to get a present for Granny. Then they'll tell their friends, oh, I got something in that shop. They were really helpful. Got this for Granny. Oh, maybe we'll go back there and get something for Auntie Jane. So again, to me, it's just intrinsically linked to be the same thing. Makes sense. I mean, you can, you, you just, you go to a supermarket now. I mean, let's, let's have that as an example. Yeah. It's, you, you, it's like you're being employed by the supermarket to do your own shopping. Yeah. And, and customer service in general, Waitrose is an exception. I don't shop in Waitrose. My dad does, but it's because everything's going online. You, you know, I order on Sainsbury's online. It's unbelievable. The, the service is amazing. It gets delivered within an hour slot. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. I have a selection of products that are the size of your arm. Why would I want to go into a store and spend an hour and a half looking for stuff that I want when I can go 20 minutes online? Yeah. yeah. Could have cost me three quid for delivery in terms of customer service in retail. Yeah. Yeah. In retail, we've got, we've got Waitrose in the UK, which is amazing amazing supermarket for customer service when you when you walk in there if you're lost the training that they have in waitrose is it's exceptionally good because you know they will say are you all right can i help you and they will take you straight to what you need they if they can't find it they will find someone else who can but you go to tesco's they go oh it's just down in there mate turn right it's a second aisle on the left and then you just like and you just sort of look at them and you just think you've got no pride in your job, mm. yeah, you know, and you should be grateful that you've even got a job in this day and age. Yeah. And, and, and that just goes back to the ethos of the company and the attitude of the company. But mm. a lot of these people are going to be replaced anyway with robots because robots are becoming more available in retail now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's where it's really important that... I- I think a lot of people still like face-to-face contact. So this is where I do think the independent sector. So I work, I'm an ambassador for Small Business Saturday. So I really help to support small businesses. So I think that's where they can have a USP that some people still do like that really good quality service. But I do think, you know, you look at Amazon and you look at eBay and things like that. To me, that's not sales. That's purely marketing. And they do it incredibly well. Oh, you put that in the basket. Oh, look, we've got an offer on this one. So it's, it's upselling. And again, to me, that's good customer service because they've seen you've bought that. There's an offer on that one. You're more likely to buy whatever the product is because they know you've bought it before. So again, I think that they can do customer service from a marketing perspective as well that, but I do think because the independent sector really hold, that's their USP, that if they do that well, then they can still continue to hold sales revenue. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the high street is a, is a very difficult one. Problem, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a retail expert. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. And the problem is, is a lot of, a lot of companies invested in property you know, like VC funds invested in property. So, so then because we were in a boom time, they were like, well, we're going to make money out of property. And then all the, all the, all the leases that they negotiated were like far too long and too expensive. So then you've got people who are just going out of business because Mm -hmm. they don't, don't want to spend money on the lease anymore. And it's like, it's a whole thing in general of like, 
you know, you want to buy online and you want the price, but yet you want a nice high street if you want to go out and hang out with your friends. So we've got a whole issue there. Yeah, but I think, again, it, the high street is a really interesting one, and I think it is about staying quirky and different because, I mean, I worked for Yellow Pages, Yellow Book in the States for 15 years, and, you know, during that time when it, the, the paper product was in decline, like they were dragging their heels going, oh, no, no, it won't decline. No, no, people will still use that. They didn't see that the internet was going to steal the business. They did, and they didn't keep, in my opinion, they didn't track and trend with what was happening in that market. And I think the high street's the same, that, you know, you can have the, the quirky side of things, but if you've also got a good e-shop, a good cart, then you can get revenue from that. And if you look, again, even... Uh, you know, it's really imperative for every business to control costs because it's not just about sales, it's controlling costs. So for us, we intentionally do not have an office because we don't need an office because if I'm out, I'm not here. We can all work from home. We've got flexible WeWork. We've got flexible desk lodge. So why on earth would I have a standard operating cost that includes rental of an office? Yeah. So, and I think that's where, again, the same in the high street. You know, we know that that rental of the office, if you're selling handmade cushions at five or a go how many handmade cushions do you have to sell to to cover the rent and that's where again a lot of people go into business just with hopes and dreams and think it's going to be fantastic and they don't know enough about the numbers and how to make money and that's why a lot of things close is because of the rental and the you know the business rates and they they can't have a you know Again, this is where it does fluctuate. You can't determine how many people are going to hit the high street that day. But if you're marketing, creating the database, doing offers to try and get them in store or having launches or having you know different things, you can try and forecast. But if your rent is actually 150 quid a day and you sell two cushions at a tenner, you're at a loss that day. That's not even including your wage cost. And I yeah. think that's where businesses have to be savvier and have the combination of the e-cart and the store yeah but but it's it's also about about communicating those offers yeah to the people on the ground because that's the biggest issue with customer service is that mm -hmm. like for example you go to the airport yeah and you and you you go to a ba desk and you and you book yourself in right and and they say well why don't you use the ba app and you just look at them and you're like, well, I don't want the BA app. I've got too many apps on my phone. But they don't give you a reason why. It might have changed since the last time I flew mm -hmm. a BA. They don't give you a, a reason of, of, of actually, well, the reason you want the BA app on your phone is because you're going to get much better customer service and you're going to have better offers and you're going to have an easier, smoother process with us. They don't tell you this, yeah? So... The problem is, in fact, down to the age-old problem. Marketing and sales think that they work for different companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and that's and that's it's been like that for ages. Salespeople don't like marketing people. Marketing people, I don't think really are fussed. I, I, you know, I'm I'm both. I'm sales and marketing myself. <laughs> really, underneath it all, so you know, I understand both quite well. But I think there's always that that disagreement you know and they're doing the same job in essence mm. aren't they yeah i mean i think again but that i believe that comes down to selling the benefits 
So if you just say, I'll use the app, that's about making it, it looks like it's going to be easier for BA because they don't have to put as much time and effort in. Whereas actually, if you spent a little bit more time selling the benefits of the app, you would go, oh, well, I can get discount on flights. Oh, actually, I get fast track through there. Oh, actually, I can do that because you understand the benefits to you because ultimately people only care about themselves. So again, it comes back to that same thing. And that's the same as sales and customer service. Yeah, it's, it's just, just helping people to buy what they want and making them happy, right? I mean, that's with a positive attitude. I mean, yeah. that's in essence what, what, we're, what we're talking about. It's just mm. giving the people what they want with a smile on your face and helping them to, to do it easily, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, no more, there's nothing more to it, is there, than that? No, no. That's, that's what I would say. Again, it's just making people happy. Giving them, and again, it's interesting because from the perspective of giving them what they want, sometimes people don't know what they want. It's trying to find out what they need, which again is the other sales thing. Because look at cars, you might want to, you know, drive a Porsche, but you've got two kids under the age of five and you've got a large Labrador dog. You ain't going to fit them in that Porsche. You'd really need a Land Rover Discovery or something. Do you know what I mean? So again, it's really helping people to get what they need. And that's the sales and the customer service person's job. You know, remember Henry Ford, he said if he'd have given the people what they wanted, they would have, they would have had faster horses, didn't he? Yeah. So it's the same thing, isn't it? And especially now with ever evolving, you know, tech, AI, you know, all those sort of things, there's new things coming on board at the moment that you, you can, they're not invented yet, but they'll make our life a lot easier, but you will not. And again, coming back to the digital paper advertising type things, you have to go with the times. You have to move forward to be successful in every angle. I think you have to really don't don't fight the, don't don't fight it. Go with the tide. Just go with it. Yeah, and just educate the customers as well as to what to expect because you might mm-hmm. find that they're not even the right customer for your business. No, no, no. And I think again, that's important, isn't it? Really finding the right customers because you know if it's somebody that wants, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know sushi. Let's. Look it's sushi we talk about sushi in the book so if it's somebody who's got a fish allergy or whatever it is and you're a fish sushi restaurant you're not going to sell to them anyway you're never going to be able to come up with that sort of solution for them unless you you know this is where again the good customer service you could come up with something and take away all the fish and make it just be a rice dish and or rather than saying no we can't do that so for me i come from i work for radisson my background is hospitality um. and in that, their motto is yes i can so you all wear the yes i can badge and you're not allowed to say no so for example if somebody says hello alison could you deliver a five-legged elephant with two trunks to my bedroom in half an hour you can't say no you've got to say well yes i can but i can only get a four-legged elephant with one trunk and it's going to take me about 48 hours to get that to your room sir how does that sound you know so again i'm 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 hamming it up a little bit there but there's always a solution to everything but nobody likes to get told no they can't have that because that's a negative connotation and that's bad customer service so the radisson ethos has always been something that's sat with me as far as customer service goes and you know nobody likes a no you can word that no into a yes and it might not be exactly what they want but it's an alternative that they potentially would be happy with that's great you've got that background i think that's i think that's very interesting actually i'm fascinated by the hotel inspector program that we have in the uk and yeah, I think 
She wasn't she wasn't she the um, Trust House Forte daughter or, or heir to the Trust House Forte hotels? Yeah, Alex Polizzi. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that's just a fascinating thing to watch. If anyone's on YouTube, they should check that out. It's 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 really really interesting. There's so much to it, but in essence, I love the fact that you've said that customer service and sales are in essence the same thing. I, and I, I believe that a hundred percent, a hundred percent believe it. It's on everything that we publish. It's on our websites. It's on every written piece of documentation. It's even in the book. So it's everywhere. Great. So how would people get hold of you if they would like to speak with you? So um, LinkedIn is a great place. I am on there, very active on LinkedIn. It's Alison Edgar. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at the Alison Edgar. On Facebook, it's Entrepreneurs Can Clan. We've got a Facebook group with over it's almost 2,000 members in there or via my websites. So I've got three, alisonedgar.com, which deals with my speaking and author activities, um, entrepreneursgodmother.com, and that deals with the startups and micro businesses, and salescoachingsolutions.co.uk, which deals with sales team training, um, as well as a new topic, which is entrepreneurship. So that's a topic for another podcast for another day. Yes, entrepreneurship's a good one. Well, thank yeah. you. It's been, it's been really enjoyable. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.